I had a lady write in asking a question about her mean and apathetic husband. Those are her words, not mine. And I told her that I will do a podcast about her question. I will share her questions with you in just a moment and some of the other things that she uh, put when she wrote into us so that you'll have a, a fuller understanding of what she is asking. But it was a good question. It's something that is really common to a lot of marriages. We we get a lot of women, more women than men. Uh, we get more wives than men, more mothers than than fathers who write in asking questions. I'm always thankful when the men write in, when the husbands are asking questions, the fathers are wanting to know uh, how to serve their families more effectively. That's always encouraging, but historically how it has worked is there are more women who write in asking for help, usually pertaining to their marriage as this podcast is. And so living with an unchanging, mean husband, it is one of the most challenging things a wife will experience, and it is worse when children are involved. But there are a few vital things that you need to think through before taking action, and I'm going to share some of those things with you in this podcast. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. My name is Rick Thomas. I'm glad that you're here Listening to this podcast, I also have show notes available for you as well. Episode 217, the title, My Husband is Apathetic, How Do I Respond to Him? And so you can find that episode 217 on our website, and and you can check out this other information that are in the show notes. It would be, be helpful for you. I just did episode 16. That was the last podcast, and it was about, uh, I don't remember the title exactly. It was something like, should a, a wife be intimate with her husband if she doesn't want to? And a lady wrote in and said she's actually going to take the podcast and the show notes and and share it with her husband. Now that is a that is a big win win for us because that doesn't happen all, all the time. Sometimes the marriages are in such a spot that the husbands and wives cannot talk to each other civilly and they can't work through their problems biblically. And so I am encouraged when I. I hear a, a spouse write in and say that we're working on this together. And uh, that, that really, uh, honestly, uh, that is motivating to, to hear that kind of talk. And I hope that you will be able to do that with this podcast as well. In fact, Jen wrote in today and, and she said this. I don't know Jen, actually. Uh, this is a new person that has just started following us. But she said, Rick, my husband and I have been very encouraged and convicted by your teachings and faithfulness to our Lord and his word. We've been able to share your podcast with family members. Thank you for your ministry. Well, thank you. You're welcome, Jen. And and thank you for writing in. I'm glad you're on board and you're you're listening to our podcast more than that, you're listening to them within your marriage. That is really encouraging. But then more than that, you're sharing it with others. And so thank you for sharing our resources broadly with, with anybody that will listen, anybody that would be willing to read. I am glad that you are doing this. So I want to get into the question that this wife asked about her husband now, I will tell you that she has asked questions in the past, and so I am more familiar with this situation than what she is revealing here in what I'm going to share with you in, 
in just a moment. And so I'm taking more liberty in my response to her because I have, I see more brush strokes on the canvas. I'm just going to give you a few brush strokes based on what she said here, but I know a good bit more. And so I will take a little extra liberty in my response to her. But this is what I want you to hear. This situation here does not mirror whatever may be happening to you. And so before you follow any advice that I give you in this podcast, you must find help from those who know your issues intimately. I do not know you. I do not know your situation. And so taking my perspective from this podcast as gospel, well, that could prove to be unwise. And so listen to me carefully. Listen with wisdom because here's what happens People will read our articles or these episodes for Life Over Coffee. They will map their experience over it. They will kick wisdom in neutral, and they'll take everything as gospel when it doesn't perfectly apply. And so you talk to God. You ask God to help you to discern, how does this apply to me, and how can I respond to it? And then you talk to somebody who knows your situation intimately. Episode two, uh, episode 217, my husband is apathetic. How do I respond to him? Here's what my friend wrote in. She said, how do I deal with apathy in my marriage? My husband seems disconnected from us emotionally. He makes plans without considering anyone else, tramples people emotionally, and generally ignores us. I don't think he hates his family, but he has an I don't care attitude towards us. He expects obedience, but it seems as though he couldn't care less about our feelings or needs. This is not an unusual question and comment that that we get on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, We've been doing this ministry since July 3rd, 2008, so we're about 11 and a half years now, and I cannot even, I can't even imagine how many of these kinds of emails that I have received. I hope this is not going on in your marriage, but if it is, I trust that it will help you. Here's my response to her. Part of the problem here is that that she needs to have a biblical definition of apathy, and the definition that I'm going to give her is going to hurt a little bit. She says that my husband seems disconnected from us emotionally? How do I deal with apathy in my marriage? But she went on to say that I I think that he loves us, or she said it this way, I don't think he hates his family, but he has I, I don't care attitude. Well, the first thing that I would appeal to you to do is think about this word apathy. Our attitudes, our words, our deeds, they fall on one of two sides of the love hate spectrum. When it comes to love and its opposite, hate, those are the only two categories that we have. It's either love or hate. Apathy is not a Bible word, and so what you have to do is you have to categorize it biblically. In our Mastermind program, I I talk to our students about moving the language and the words and the things that people say, move it from secularized kind of speak and and move it through a biblical filter. And, and, And once you move it to a biblical filter, you can begin to think biblically about what is going on. And so apathy is not a Bible word. Now, I'm not talking about being word policy here. 
because that makes people paranoid when you, you interact with somebody who's word policey. And I'm well aware that biblical counselors can be some of the most word policey people within Christianity. And so I'm not talking about that, but it's just I'm just asking you to that when you hear words that aren't represented in the Bible, that you want to find a a comparable biblical word that will explain that word. Because once you move it into a biblical hermeneutic, then you are able to begin to bring biblical application to it. And so apathy is not a Bible word. But it's not hard to categorize according to the love-hate spectrum, and categorizing it is vital so that you know what you have precisely. An apathetic person is a hateful person. That's why I said this is going to hurt some. Apathy does not fit on the love side of the spectrum, and I know that would be hard to hear. She's wanting to say that—I mean, she says it. I don't think that he hates his family. But he has, but here's the juxtaposition here. Here's the sentence. She says, I don't think he hates his family, but he has an I don't care attitude toward us. Well, he does hate his family. He does hate you. And and the thing about putting it within a biblical framework, that the biblical framework can, it sounds harsh to our postmodern sensitivities. If you go back and read Jesus's talking, the way he talked to people it just wouldn't fit within our culture today. But it does bring a lot of clarity, and it is important that you have clarity on what you, on what you have, what you're dealing with. You don't want to round the corners off so much that you can't see with the clarity that you need. And though it is painful to think about, what this lady is describing is a hateful husband. Now, granted that apathy is not the worst form of hate, I said the love-hate spectrum, so you can hear gradations in love and gradations in hate. Obviously, the worst kind of hate would be murder, when you murder someone. But there's other forms of hate, too, and apathy is one of those forms. And so, though apathy is not the worst form of hate, it is hate. It is evil, nonetheless, and, and he needs to change. Of course, his repentance is not something that she can administer. Whatever is going on with him is between him and the Lord as far as a spiritual situation is concerned. So she cannot, we know that we can't change people. But because she is living with him, even though it is between him and the Lord, it is having an adverse effect on her and the children because they are on the receiving end of his hate. And so her most effective posture is before the Lord, prayer begging him to to break her husband down to where the strongholds that have captured him will will fall away. You see, apathy is not a passive condition that has come over him. He's not a victim. But this is a decision that he makes every day, each moment, as to whether he's going to be kind or be unkind, whether he's going to love or hate, or in this case, be apathetic. Now, you can test my theory here as to whether he, if he's a victim or not, by observing the times when he chooses not to be apathetic toward people. And here's what you're going to see. You're going to find him actively loving those outside of his family. He will not treat other people the way that he treats his wife and his children. Now, perhaps he will manifest anger toward others from time to time, but he will choose 
in most cases, to be kind and loving and responsive and positively reactive and optimistic toward those outside of the family. And it is important that you understand this. And the reason it's important is because if he is actively choosing right or wrong, then you know he can change and he's not a victim. So study his behavior. Is he universally apathetic? Of course he's not. If he were universally apathetic in all contexts with all people, there would not be a person or a situation where he was not apathetic. But he is not like that. There are many people that he chooses to be kind to rather than hateful. Now, this perspective, again, it means that he can change because he is an active participant in his hatefulness. There is a difference between character-related problems, which is what I'm describing here with him, and organic-related problems. We're talking about a husband's character rather than an organic issue. He's not a victim. What I'm saying here is that he has a repentable problem. He can change. He can repent. Now, his condition, as hard as it is to take, is good news because you can pray and you can hope that God will transform him. And so the first thing that you do, you have to carefully categorize him because you want to understand who he is. Now, now, apathy is a good word, and I understand what you mean by apathy, as long as you understand what you mean by apathy. And so when you say, I don't think he hates his family, oh, yes, yes, he does. Ap apathy falls within the hate spectrum. And so now that you know that he has a repentable problem, you should not only pray for him in faith, but you'll have to determine what ways you can respond to him. Now, listen carefully here. If he's not abusive and you're safe being around him, though he's a jerk, you need to confront him. You should not accept his sinful nonsense. You don't accept anybody's sinful nonsense without confrontation if you are safe in that confrontation. Listen carefully. But if he will hurt you, if there's a possibility that you will be hurt, then you need to find help, which could be your church. It could be another church. It could be civil authorities. Now, your response here depends on your safety first from whatever his reactions will be. You would be fully in the right to go outside your home and to find help for yourself, for your children, and for your husband because he needs rescuing. Your other option will be to bear up under what is going on in your home. God will give you the grace you need for what is happening, but you don't want to quash the courage necessary if the best response is to find help. And you don't want to fall into the complaining trap. This problem happens when a person, in, in this case a wife, is unwilling to respond courageously to the nonsense of others. They choose instead to grumble about the individual, in this case her husband, to others with no end. Some wives in a situation like this keep talking about the same old problems in different ways, but it's always the same old problem because they don't want to take the risk to follow the Lord by taking courageous biblical steps. Now, I don't want you to hear that I'm fussing at you. I'm not, and I'm not condemning you as well. No fussing, no condemnation. I am releasing you to be free, 
to take this situation as an opportunity to address your fears while thinking strategically about confronting your husband or finding someone else to respond to him if if it's not safe for you to do, do so. You see, some wives have bought into the lie that they shouldn't confront their husbands when they are sinning. That perspective is a lie. It's dumb. It's biblically dumb. You can address anybody in the world who is sinning but your husband. That's a lie. If your husband is is acting the fool, if you're safe and, and can confront him, you do it or you find somebody else to do it. By all means, keep yourself safe, but do something about it. Otherwise, and this is why I say I'm not fussing, I'm not condemning, but I'm saying that you can't keep on complaining about the same old problem without taking courageous actions. Because if you don't, you're going to continue to circle the same problems ad infinitum. And you will, you will not have done what you could have done to bring corrective care to a foolish man. James says in 4.17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Today, if you hear the Spirit's voice, listen to him. And if, but if you continually talk about it with no action steps, your soul will deteriorate. And this is why I, I want to call anyone, I want to appeal to anyone, that if you keep grumbling or keep complaining about the same old problem without taking action steps, it will have a diminishing effect on your soul. God gives you a way of escape, but that requires you doing something. We are in an active relationship with the Lord. So as you pray through James 4, 17, I'll read it to you again. James says, the half-brother of Jesus, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So as you pray through this verse, ask the Lord to reveal to you what you need to do and to provide the grace for you to do it. If you don't respond appropriately to James's words, it will be sin, and you will find yourself gnarling up, deteriorating the incredible shrinking soul as you continue to spin around in the same problems without doing what you, what God is telling you to do. And so the first response to this apathetic mean husband is, who, who he is. You have to clearly define who he is. I've talked about him being a, a hateful person and, and also being an active participant. He's not a victim. This is not an organic problem. And so you now have clarity on who he is. And then secondly, I talked about how to respond to him. And I'm, I'm warning you about if you, if you keep talking about it without taking the active steps, it's going to have a huge adverse effect on, on your soul. And then number three, protect your children. Not only will your interaction have a deteriorating effect on your soul, but it will tempt your children to hate God. Now, I don't want you to hear in this because I know some people will hear, well, you just blaming me for how much. No, I'm not blaming you for any choices that your husband makes. I'm not blaming you for any choices that your, <clears throat> excuse me, any choices that your children make. But, but I said that it will tempt your children 
to hate God. Now, if they succumb to that temptation, then that's on them. But if you can do something about it, if you can remove the temptation, then by all means remove it. You see, your children are not mature enough to have a theology of suffering. They can't think about the contours and and the bigness of suffering and how God will permit suffering to mature us and to grow us and to draw us closer to Him. These are big things that that 50-year-old people struggle with, and they've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. And so children aren't able to have a robust, sound theology of suffering. They think in very simple, clear, black-and-white categories. And the way that you're describing your husband is a blend of Christianity and paganism. See, you're not describing a Christian home, and you're not describing a pagan home. And children think in black-and-white categories. It's a confusing home. You and your husband name the name of Christ. You're professing believers, but according to your testimony, and as you have described your husband, the testimony of your home and your husband, your home is anything but Christ-centered. The worst kind of home is a hypocritical home because it sucks the spiritual hope from a child's soul. If your home was just straight-up hardcore pagan, the children could reach out to Jesus because he's the answer he is the antithesis. He is the, the opposite of what they are experiencing. But a hypocritical Christian home muddies the waters so much that the children have no desire to reach out to Christ. In fact, you'll hear it said in statements like this, well, if that is Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. They are seeing what Christ can do by observing what is happening in their home. It would be a miracle of grace. Of course, all, all transformations, all regenerations are a miracle of grace, but it would be a miracle of grace for them to want to follow Jesus after experiencing him in a hypocritical family. You don't want to presume on God's grace. And if your husband refuses to change, you must take action. This is episode 217, My Husband is Apathetic. How do I respond to him? Number one, understand truly what kind of person this is. He's a hateful person who is making volitional decisions every day to be hateful to you and your children. Number two, guard against spiraling down into talking about it in a complaining, grumbling way all the time and take active steps. If your church is not willing to help you, if you can't confront him because it would not be wise to do that because he's abusive, then go to another church, reach out to the people that you need to reach out to, but bring confrontation to this man. And then protect your children. You want to protect your children because it's a blend of a pagan Christian home. It's a hypocritical home, and it's hard for them to understand this. I'm speaking directly to you because of what you're describing is dire, dark, and desperate. There are two roads in front of you. And you have to decide which one you're going to take. The entrance to both of those roads has the word suffering written over the entrance. Whichever path you choose, you will suffer, which is my point here. It doesn't matter which way you go, you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. I'm sorry for that. I'm sad for that. I would like to take your husband and shake him loose from whatever has caught him. But I don't want to paint a rosy, spiritualized picture 
that everything will be fantastic on either road. It won't be great. It will be hard. But if you're trusting God, which is evidenced by actively responding to Him by faith, He will lead you. He will take care of you. He will take care of your children. Perhaps God wants you to keep trying to change things alone as you have been. Maybe He wants you to do something else that seems impossibly hard to you. Pray through James 17. What is God asking you to do? And then ask the Lord to help you to discern that clearly. But you can't refuse to do this at this moment. You have to respond to God. If you choose to stay in the home and and persevere along, you you know how it's going to go for you. You know this by looking in the rearview mirror of your life, your family, your marriage. Your husband has a long historical record of being a fool according to your descriptions. If you stay, you must guard your heart against grumbling. You must trust God that he will give you the grace to bear up under a foolish man. And you spend your days equipping your children in a theology of suffering and all things Christianity. If you want to learn more about suffering and the change process, then I do recommend that you get two of my books and prayerfully study them. One of them is Suffering Well, which teaches a a theology of suffering. Uh, This is the book in our ministry. Our our ministry does have have a a suffering-centricness to it. Uh, One of the things I I found out when my life was falling apart and and, and everything, everything was just crumbling all around me is I didn't have a sound view, a sound understanding of of suffering, these two roads that were before me, I thought one was nice green grass and the other one was a rocky road, but no, it wasn't like that at all. Both roads are roads of suffering. We are called to suffer. And so once I began to understand how God uses suffering as as one of the pivotal things in his relationship with us, it's kind of ironic that I wouldn't know that. Because the gospel is the centerpiece of suffering, and and it's the centerpiece of everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that we know. And so suffering is centric to our lives, but Christians don't like that message. The other irony is that as you read the Bible, I'm thinking specifically now of Hebrews 11. Read Hebrews 11, and oh my There is so much suffering that God permits in our lives for a greater good. But the people who are dialed in on that, as you read in Hebrews 11, they have something that is truly special and persevering and transcendent. And so I would encourage you to get my book titled Suffering Well. As I, it's an autobiographical journey through, autobiographical journey through the book of Job. As the Lord began to teach me things, as my again my life was falling apart. And then the other book that I would recommend for you is the Change Me book. This is the it is a a full treatment of the change process, and I, I wrote it because well that's what we are about as well. We we want to be a transformational ministry, and so I wanted to put our best resources in in one volume so that people can get it and read it and study it as often as they need to. And so I would encourage you to get suffering well and and change me, and then you begin a process of walking your children through 
the change process. My goal here in this podcast is to motivate you to do something. When sin is present, you must take action. Now, what I can't tell you is which action to take, and I'm not going to do that here. That would be incredibly foolish of me. Not, not never met you, never met your husband, never met your children, don't know their names, etc., etc., etc. It would be so foolish for me to tell you what to do, but you have to take action. Confront your husband. Find others to intervene. But whatever you do, the safety of you and the children is of utmost importance. This is episode 216. A lady wrote in and said, My husband is apathetic. How do I respond to him? Perhaps you have something that you would like for me to put in a podcast and to work it through. The last two podcasts were specific questions that were asked of me. Episode 216, Do I have to be intimate with my husband if I don't want to be? Episode 217, My husband is apathetic. How do I respond to him? Perhaps you have something else that you would love for me to wrestle through and and put here uh, show notes, links, a lot of resources. And if you take these and and study them, and if you could talk with your spouse, that's the best case scenario. But talk with somebody else and, and give them the insight into your life and your marriage that they need so that they can bring competent care to you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm so glad that you're here and it is a joy to serve you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.